uh, this morning, I want to uh, just preach you a message about the importance of the gospel. And um, uh, this morning, we're going to spend a bulk of our time in uh, Acts chapter 16. That's where our memory verse is for this month. And we're kind of going to look at uh, the surrounding story and, and um, a portion of Scripture so we kind of get an understanding about what is all happening um, with the verse that we're trying to memorize this morning and this month. Um, kind of gives a better, a better um, uh, I guess you say, outlook of what is, is um, happening in this chapter. And um, so you can go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 16. We're going to go to a couple of verses beforehand. But uh, you can go ahead and put a bookmarker there, or your finger, or whatever, and we'll be getting there eventually. Now, um, many people have different beliefs about how God interacts with man. Uh, some believe that, uh, first of all, that God doesn't even exist. You know, they think that um, that He just He's just not there. He never was. Is just a figment of our imagination, um, just a, a way to to scare people and. And uh, for people just not to be able to enjoy life as they want it. Um, but it, or if he does exist, that uh, he's just abandoned us. You know, he's created everything, but then he's just kind of, you know, went up into heaven and he's just completely ignoring everything that's going on down here on earth. And uh, this is their explanation of why bad things happen to good people and why God doesn't seem to interfere and stop it. Um, but in reality, sin is why bad things happen to good people. Um, you know, I can't stop uh, what someone who has ill intentions wants to do to me. Uh, but there are times that God does intervene. Oftentimes, we just do not see the way that the we don't see it um, the way that we want the results to be. Um, you know, we think God, you have to act this way, and uh, but God is always working in every single situation. Uh, but He's working in ways that, first of all, we don't see, and usually we don't understand. Uh, we, don't, we can't see the big picture. We don't see all that's going on. Now, um, can I get behind here? Um, but uh, God is not some distant object or a person who reigns in heaven and could care less about what, what happens here on earth. Uh, he's not just some distant deity who just you know is minding his own business and and doesn't care about what's happening here. In truth, God is very involved in our in the lives of the people all the time. He he's in, he's every single day he's involved in people's life. Most times though they just do not realize that he is even there or they choose to be ignorant of his workings in their lives. You know, you see people saying and in you know, if if God's there, why does he prove that he exists? And he did. He gave us his word. That's what he has given us. Um, you, know, you know, you look at creation. Creation proves that he exists. Um, different things like that. And, and so, you know, people are saying, well, I, I, you know, I want some miraculous event. And uh, the sad thing, though, is that even if God did show up miraculously and do something special, they still wouldn't believe. And, uh, and so... Um, you know, that's why he, he doesn't bother with it, because it, it's just not, um, he knows that they're not going to believe anyway. But God wants to have a relationship with you. I mean, think about it. Let that sink in. The creator of the universe cares about what happens in your life. I mean, this all-knowing, all-powerful God, 
He actually cares about what you go through in your life. And he wants to be a part of your life. Um, I mean, to me, that's just that just humbles me. That God, first of all, that he loves me so much that he wants to be involved. He wants to be close to you. First Peter 5, 7 says, cast your care upon him for he careth for you. He wants us to cast our care upon him. That's we do that by praying and just just giving him our burdens. He wants to carry those. And he wants to give you uh, the burden that he has, which is far more lighter and there is no burden. And also in James 4 a, he says, draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. As you get closer to God, he gets closer to you. As you uh, desire to have that relationship with him, um, he gets closer to you. See, but God doesn't just want to be your friend. You know, uh, sometimes we think, oh, he's just, he's, you know, he's just my, my, my good buddy. No, it's not. He doesn't want just to be a friend. But he desires the relationship of family. Uh, friends, they, you know, they're, they're there, but um, uh, they're not always there when you need them, are they? There are some good friends, and God is a, um, a friend who will not forsake you and who will never abandon you. But here in physical realm, there are some friends who will disappoint us. Uh, they will hurt us. They may not intentionally do so, but, um, but friends usually aren't there all the time. But family should be. Family, uh, I mean, you know, you can't choose the family that you're a part of. Um, you know, you can't choose who your brothers and sisters are for the most part. Um, you can't choose... Uh, who your parents are, and um, and so those relationships should be the closest that we have. They should be, uh, because I mean you're you're you spend years in those relationships. God wants to have that kind of relationship with you, a family. Uh, that's why it says that we've been adopted into God's family. So turn with me to Romans chapter eight. Romans chapter 8, verse number 15. Romans eight fifteen says, For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father, the Spirit itself bear witness with our spirit that we are the children of God, and of children then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may also glorified together. Uh, he, I mean, we're adopted into God's family. I mean, he is now no longer just a friend, but he is now our Father, who we can call, we can go to and cry out and say, Abba, Father, and that's a, a very personal, very um, intimate name uh, for a father. It's like it's like you know, um, you know. Yeah, we have we call our, our father father, but you know, when you have a, that good relationship, he's more than just father. You know, he's dad or daddy. You know, maybe some some of the uh, girls here, you know, may they call may call him daddy or papa. You know, that that really intimate 
name that, that just you and, and your father have. And that's what God wants. He wants to have that intimate uh, in your life where um, he just wants you to be so close to him where when you cry out and when you're going through them, you just say, you know, Dad, I need you. I, 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 I'm going through a hard time. And I just need you in my life right now. I need you to, to show me what to do and, and, uh, and he'll be there. Now for those who do not grow up in a close family, this is very hard to comprehend. You know, for me, uh, my family wasn't close when we, uh, growing up. You know, I, I, I have um, uh, some stepbrothers and a stepsister and things like that. And, and growing up, we never were, we never were close. They were they were much older than I was, and uh, and so I never really saw them that often. And so growing up, we never developed a close relationship. And uh, and so since becoming an adult and, and or, you know later teen and adult, I really strove, really tried to build that relationship because uh, it was something that I desired. Um, and uh, and I'm thankful that today I've got a good relationship with my family. But growing up, I didn't have that, and so. Um, or even with my father, and and uh, and so when you, when you get saved, you become a child of God, and and it, it's something that is hard to develop sometimes. That trusting God, that pouring, you know, growing closer to God, because when you don't grow up in a close family, you kind of do things yourself. You uh, maybe you know you don't even have you know brothers and sisters or something like that, and you're and you're used to uh, just being a taking care of yourself. But don't let those situations keep you pushing God from getting close to you and being an intimate part of your life. It may not be natural. It may not be easy for you to, to trust God, to, to be close to Him. That's why we need to try and, and work on, on that. Uh, but this morning, I want to take a look at the extent that God will go through for a person to hear the gospel. Uh, you see, God loves this world so much. First of all, that He gave His Son, but He wants people to get saved. And uh, and so we're going to go ahead and um, I want you to to Second Peter chapter three verse nine. Second Peter chapter three verse nine. Go to Hebrews, go a couple books after Hebrews. Second Peter chapter three, verse nine. Peter writes, he said, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long suffering to usward. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. You see, God is long-suffering to the point where we, oftentimes, we give up on people. We think, oh, there's no hope for that person. And, um, and we sometimes wonder, God, why haven't you judged them? Why haven't you, um, you know, punished them for, for what they've done you know, to me and what they may have done to my family? And um, and we don't realize that, you know what, God had an awful lot of patience with you and I. He was very long-suffering with us. To the fact that, you know what, um, you know, I didn't get saved until I was 17 years old. 
And there may be someone here who you didn't get saved until much later in life. And, uh, and you may have had a, um, a past that, you know what, you're not proud of. And you may have hurt people. And you may have, uh, have been uh, a person who was just a tyrant. And yet, God had patience and love and long-suffering for you. Now, people, they just don't understand it. I don't understand it sometimes. But God looks at us and He sees just how valuable, just how priceless your soul is. How priceless a person's soul is. And He will go through great lengths um, for them to hear the Gospel. As we're going to look at this morning. Um, let's go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 16. And this will be our, we'll pretty much stay in Acts chapter 16 the rest of the morning. Now, just before uh, Acts chapter 16, at the, at the end of chapter 15, um, Paul starts his second missionary journey. Uh, Paul and Barnabas had just uh, had, had split company, had departed company, and uh, Paul chose Silas to travel with him. Now, Silas was a, another uh, very, um, uh, just a, a, a spirit-filled uh, preacher and a man of God, and, and, uh, and so Paul chose Silas to come with him. And they started going to churches that Barnabas and he started. And God used them to strengthen the churches so much that they grew daily in number. And, uh, and so like, um, so basically, um, this is where they started off with. Paul and Silas, they started kind of going up and around here um, as they were kind of, uh, this right here is Jerusalem. So kind of get an idea of, of where the locations are at. This is Jerusalem right here. I'm going to kind of get out of the way here. Um, and so Paul and Silas, they started to minister to the, the churches that are in this, this area right here. Um, and so this is where they start off at. If you look here in verse number 6, the Bible says, um, Now when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, and they were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia. Um, after they were come to Mysia, they essayed to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit suffered them not. Now, you look at these places and you're probably wondering, I have no idea where these locations are even at. And, uh, and so that's why sometimes it's good to have an atlas, a Bible atlas, so you kind of know where these events are taking place. Now, um, they went through Phrygia, which is this area here, and they were traveling up through Mysia here, and they wanted to go into Galatia. And the, and the Holy Spirit said, no. They wanted to go to Bithynia. And the Holy Spirit said, no. Um, and so while uh, they're traveling through Mysia, uh, if you look here in verse number 8, it says, And they, passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas. And Troas is this port city right here. And that's, this is where they're located right now. It's, uh, it's right on the, the coast there. Uh, to kind of give you a better idea of, of a world map here, this is Greece. This is Greece right here. And, um, and so this is where they are located at. Um, look at uh, verse number 9. And while they're in Troas, this is what happens, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. There stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him, saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. So, they're here in Troas. Macedonia is right here. 
And so um, Paul is receiving this vision to come up over to this area. Now, um, why God, first of all, um, as they were they're finishing the places they went to, uh, Paul was depending on the Lord's direction for where to go. I mean, you know, he, he wanted he wanted to go to Bithynia. Holy Spirit said no. He wanted to go into Galatia. The Holy Spirit said no. And uh, we probably, you know, it'd be easy to wonder why, why wouldn't God allow him to go into these, these places? See, God was directing them specifically to a particular place for a particular event and also to find someone who would be a constant companion of Paul. Now, uh, we kind of wonder, well, yes, the gospel is needed everywhere, isn't it? You know, we think, well, in, in, in common sense, you know, everywhere needs the gospel. Why would God direct Paul and Silas to Troas? Why wouldn't he allow them to go into Asia? Uh, first of all, uh, Asia may not have been ready yet to hear the gospel. Uh, they may have, have not wanted to hear the gospel yet. And also, God might have been sending other people into Asia. Now, because what we do know is that Paul would eventually return and go to parts of Asia. And Scripture says that by Acts 19.11, all they which dwelt in Asia had heard the gospel. So by the time Acts, just three chapters later, uh, this whole region had heard the gospel. Now, when you look at Asia in Scripture, it's talking about this, this area right here. It's not talking about the huge continent that we think of. Um, because uh, at this time, this, is, this was the known world of, of what they would call Asia. And, um, and so it's the modern uh, country of Turkey today. Now, uh, once, they had happened to, once they arrived to Troas, two things happened. First of all, we, we read in verse number 9, God sent the vision of this man. And secondly, Paul met Luke, and Luke became a valued companion. Now, God brought Paul to Troas. He found Luke there. Luke now begins to travel with Paul the rest of his life. Or at least with most of, most of Paul's life, Luke is his constant companion. And, um, and so God was directing these guys specifically to this, por- this, this portion. Now, God gave Paul the vision of where to go next and who to go to. And uh, in verse number 10, um, we see what Paul's reaction is. Verse number 10 says, And after he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering the, that the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel unto them. Now, um, the reason why I say, how do you know that, that God picks up Luke in Troas? Well, verse number 10 is the key to that. You see, Paul, or sorry, um, Luke, he wrote, he wrote the book of Acts. And so up until 1610, it's all about this person did this, this, this person did that. And verse number 10, it now becomes personal. It's now we, us, uh, a personal plural, uh, pronoun as, that, that he was there as well in many portions of the scripture. So that's how we, we know that this is where Luke is picked up. Um, he immediately wanted to leave. So it says here, we endeavored to go. So uh, they, got, they made plans and, and they uh, left as soon as they could. 
You see, uh, his relationship with God was so intimate that he knew this was where God wanted him to go next. He had no doubts if this was God's will. Even today, God is still calling people to preach the gospel to others. He is still desiring and directing people to hear the gospel. The biggest difference between then and now is the willingness for those to go that he calls. Uh, he, still is, he still is burdened for this world. He still wants people to hear the gospel. But most of the time, we are so preoccupied with our life now that if God were to call, we would say, eh, not interested. I've got, my life is too important right now. And, uh, and, and we would allow and we would rather um, miss the, the call of God, whether maybe because we're afraid. We're afraid to leave. We're afraid to go somewhere that, that uh, there's full, filled with uncertainty, filled with um, don't know what the possibilities of could happen, have to learn a new culture, have to learn a new language, have to learn uh, a new lifestyle, a new culture, a new, um, you know, a new way of, of having to think, a new way of, of, of having to act. And, and most people, they say, I'm not even going to be bothered with it. And yet God wants these people to hear the gospel. He wants them to, to get saved. And people today say, no, not interested. I mean, if people, the people that God has called, if they were all surrendered, this world would be far different than it is now. It would be far different than it is now. But because people have not surrendered, because people have not gone, people have not been saved. People have not heard the gospel. People have not wanted God. Look at verse number 11. Verse number 11 says, Therefore, loosing from Troas, we came straight, uh, sorry, therefore, loosing from Troas, we came with a straight course to Samothracia, and the next day to Naples, and from thence to Philippi, which is the chief city of that part of Macedonia, and a colony. And we were in that city abiding certain days. So now here's a bunch of more um, places that we're looking at. So they went from Troas, passed by Samothracia, went to Neapolis, and came to Philippi, which was a chief city. Uh, often people say this is, was the first city uh, in Macedonia. And it was actually named after uh, the king, of, uh, um, king Philip of Macedonia. And, um, and so that's where we get Philippi from. And so this was a chief city in the part of Macedonia. And it says, and it was a colony. What that means by that is this is now a Roman colony. So they've been occupied and they've been taken over by Rome. And, uh, and so this, in their mindset, uh, they're Romans. Now, the Jews and the Romans didn't like each other. And uh, most Jews would have nothing to do with Rome. Um, but as we look here in verse number 11, or verse number 12 says, and then we were in that city abiding certain days. Now, when they got there to Macedonia, uh, they got there to Philippi. Was there a huge crowd waiting for them to hear them preach the gospel? No. I mean, God gave them the vision. You know, here's this Macedonian man saying, come and help us. Come and, and uh, you know, we need your help. And yet, when they got to Philippi, nobody was there. Nobody was there. Was Paul still in God's will? Absolutely. 
You see, oftentimes the people that God sends preachers to, they don't want to hear the gospel. They don't want to hear. They think they're fine. They think that everything in their life is, is just dandy. They don't want to hear the gospel, even though it is the only thing that will truly help them. There's a man by the name of Adoniram Judson. He was in Burma for six years before seeing anybody saved. Before seeing anybody have any desire to trust Christ as their Savior. Yet during those years, he knew that God had led them there. And he and his wife. And during that time, he studied the language and he, he tried to master the language. And he translated uh, the portion of Scripture of Matthew into their own language. You see, for them in that time, uh, the Burma was a Hindu nation. And it was actually a law by the king of Burma that if anybody were to, to convert to a, another religion outside of Hinduism, they would be killed. It was a death sentence. And so for anybody to make that decision, uh, it was basically you were risking your life. A lot different than it is today, isn't it? But yet he was still faithful. He believed that God called him uh, to, the, to that portion of, of the world, and he was faithful. And uh, he began to, uh, years later, he, he began to see people start getting saved. And uh, he was instrumental in uh, spreading the gospel through Burma. And, um, and what the impact of his life in that country is just amazing. Uh, I would suggest if you ever get an opportunity to read the biography of Adam Judson, uh, it would be an encouragement to you. Now, <clears throat> whenever you speak the Word of God, it does have an effect on people's heart. It will either soften it, or when the person hears it, they will choose to harden their heart. Anybody who has ever tried to witness to somebody, you can see it. Especially if you've, if you've had experience with, with giving someone the gospel. Uh, you, can, you can see it in their eyes, even. You can see it just in the countenance of their face. As you start to talk to them about the gospel and start to deal about, about that they're sinners and that because of their sin that if they were to, to die they would go to hell and that Jesus Christ is the only way that they can be saved. And, uh, and you start to, to, to watch them and, and uh, you'll, you'll see either their heart will start to soften, you'll see the conviction of the Holy Spirit start to come in and start to break that hardness of their heart or you will actually start see, I mean, it's almost like they, they get angry. They get furious and they start to harden their heart and uh, and they just say, I, you know, I, I don't want to hear nothing. I don't want to hear any more about it. You see, God's word does affect the heart. Now, uh, look at verse number thirteen. So they've been here for a few days, and on the Sabbath day, we went out of the city by the a riverside where prayer was wont to be made, and we sat down and spake unto the women which resorted thither. Uh, and a certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple, of the city of Thyatira, which worshipped God, heard us, whose heart the Lord had opened. And she attuned, attended unto the things which were spoken of Paul. And when she was baptized and her household, she besought us, saying, If ye have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house, and abide there, and she constrained us. Now, so, um, they found certain women. You know, they, they, they found that there was some, some uh, 
outside of the city by a river there that um, people who still believed in, in, uh, in, in uh, the one true God and wasn't into the idols that were there in the city, they went outside the city and they were, they were having a prayer meeting. And so while Paul was there and, and he decided to, to start preaching to them and to, and to, to give them the gospel, and uh, the first person that believed on the Lord was a woman by the name of Lydia. She worshipped. She was uh, someone who believed in God, but she just maybe she didn't know the full comprehension of who of what God had done for her. And so when she heard what uh, more about Christ, uh, things that were, were spoken of, of of her by Paul, uh, she realized that uh, she needed to trust Christ as her Savior. And uh, and so the first person that got saved wasn't a man. It was actually women. It was a woman, and uh, and her family and her household. And uh, she besought them, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and abide there. And she constrained us. So she sought to serve God by having Paul and his company stay with her, and she took care of them. And uh, she was baptized after hearing, uh, after being born again and trusting Christ as her Savior. And her belief in Jesus was such an impact in her life that her family also were saved and baptized. Now, it's, it's a great, you know, this is going great, you know. Paul's now getting to reach. He's got some, some people who've been saved and, and uh, now he's got a place kind of to, to stay and kind of base out of and things seem to be going grand for him, don't they? Well, sometimes things don't always go as we plan. God uses situations that do not make sense to us one bit. <laughs> um, look here at verse number uh we're going to read here verse number 16. But uh, before that, it says, Man has always tried to put God into a box and that he can only do things certain ways. But God says in Isaiah 55, verse 8 and 9, He says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are, my, are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. You know, sometimes we think that, uh, you know, God is going to react and, and, and do things in this way and, and, uh, and He completely does things differently than what we expect. Uh, so while staying with Lydia, something happens while Paul is out and about. Uh, look at verse number 16 now. It says here, And it came to pass, as we went to prayer, a certain damsel possessed with a spirit of divination met us, which brought her masters much gain by soothsaying. The same followed Paul and us and cried, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God, which show us the way of salvation. And this did she many days. But Paul, being grieved, turned and said to the Spirit, I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out the same hour. And when her masters saw that the hope of their gains was gone, they caught Paul and Silas and drew them into the marketplace unto the rulers. So, I mean, here he is. He takes a stroll out to go to prayer. And uh, while he's walking by, all of a sudden, uh, this lady who's possessed by a demon starts to you know, yell out and declare to everybody that uh, you know, these, these men are the servants of the Most High God. And, um, and she didn't just do it once. She did it for days. And it got to the point where it was, it was kind of not necessarily aggravating, but it was... Um, it was grieving to Paul because it was, to my my personal opinion, 
it was bring it was it was um, it was announcing a way that God wasn't wanting to be announced. You know, it wasn't he he's not in the big show type of thing. And this is what this lady was doing, saying these are the guys. You know, and and, and she was making a a big deal out of it, and it was making for awkward situations. Um, and so he cast the demon out of her. And once that demon was gone, she could no longer do fortune telling. She no longer could, you know, read palms and all that kind of stuff that uh, that uh, people who are soothsayers could do. And um, look at verse number 20. And uh, as we look here at the end of verse number 19, her master saw it. They no longer could get make money off of her. And, uh, and so they caught Paul and Silas and drew them into the marketplace unto the rulers. And uh, verse number 20 says, And brought them to the magistrate, saying, These men, being Jews, do exceedingly trouble our city, and teach customs which are not lawful for us to receive, neither to observe, being Romans. And the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates rent off their clothes and commanded to beat them. And when they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely. Now, only Paul and Silas got captured. Luke was able to, to somehow escape this, this uh, persecution that was going on. Um, we see here that how much the world hates the Jews. Paul and Silas, they're falsely accused. They're tried without even being able to defend themselves. I mean, they were, they were pronounced guilty before they even had an opportunity to even speak on their behalf. And, uh, and so they were tried, they were beaten, they were whipped, and then they were put in prison. I don't think this is what Paul had planned when he saw the vision to come to Macedonia. This wasn't on his to-do list. Yet here they are, now in prison, for freeing a woman from a demonic power. I mean, you know, and they weren't just beaten, you know, slap on the hand and say, you guys did a bad job. No, I mean, they took, they took sticks, they took rods, and they beat them. And then they took a whip, and they whipped them. They gave them lashes. And uh, it takes a lot to, to endure that. Look at verse number 24. <clears throat> and it says here, the charging the jailer to keep them safely who having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in the stocks. And uh, so, as you notice here, jailers are not exactly the nicest guys. They, I mean, they're, they, they have to deal with the prisoners. They have to deal with um, just scoundrels, rough people. And so they have to be pretty rough back. Uh, most jailers were very cruel men. And not only were Paul and Silas whipped and put into prison, but he made sure that their feet were put into stocks so they couldn't even move around the cell. They were stuck there. They had to sit there, uh, or they had to stand there. Um, they couldn't even move. Now, uh, look at verse number 25. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. As, uh, as they were singing as they were praising God, they had an audience. 
These verses, verses 25 and 26, I think are probably one of the most encouraging verses to read whenever you feel like you're being persecuted for your faith. I mean, picture them this. Here, they're bloodied from their flesh being torn, from being beaten and whipped. And instead of complaining about their situation, they instead in the middle of the night start to praise God and to sing to Him. Loud enough where all the other prisoners hear it. I mean, can Put yourself in their shoes. I mean, they've just been beaten and whipped. I mean, they're bloody. They're sore. They're probably wondering, how did we get in this position? How did we fall into this predicament? What are, What is God going to do? And instead of complaining and saying, why are we in this, this, this predicament? Why are we even in this prison? Instead of doubting, instead of being discouraged, they instead they start to praise God. And they begin to just to, to sing and and uh, to the point where I mean the pro, the other prisoners are probably wondering who are these guys, why in the world are they even singing, um, and the way they responded made a difference to them. Look at verse number twenty six. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened. And everyone's bands were loosened. Um, God responds in a mighty way. See these stocks that they were in? All of a sudden they were broken. They were broken off. They were now able to walk freely. All the bands, all the things just fell off their hands. Uh, the doors of the cell opened by their own accord. I mean, when God moved, um, we don't know how long it. They sang praises and things for, but it got God's attention in full. And He responded in a miraculous way. Um, it definitely, I think, made quite the impact on these prisoners. Now, lastly, I want to look tonight, or this morning, at the impact of the gospel. Look at verse number 27. And the keeper of the prison, awaking out of his sleep, and seeing the prison doors open, he drew out his sword. And would have killed himself, supposing that the prisoners had been fled. See, the jailer here realized that he was in trouble. Being in charge of the prisoners, it, his life was forfeit if any of the prisoners escaped. That was job risk. You know, it wasn't exactly a job I don't think, you know, we would want uh, in those days. Because if a prisoner escaped, then you were the one punished for it. Um, the jail, this jailer was about to commit suicide because of the fear that he was overcome by. You know, the earthquake happened, all the doors were open. Immediately he assumed they're all gone. Uh, all the prisoners, we don't know how many were there, all the prisoners had escaped and he knew that he was going to be in trouble. And instead of enduring what was going to happen, he was considering taking his own life. But now, thankfully, uh, Thank God that Paul intervened. Uh, thankfully that, you know, I mean, put yourself in his spot. You know, he'd just been beaten, just been whipped. This guy just thrust him in the deepest, darkest prison, innermost. It would be very easy to be mad at him. It would be very easy to just want nothing to do with this guy. And yet, if you look here in verse number 28... 
It says, but, call, but Paul cried out with a loud voice, saying, Do thyself no harm, for we are all here. You see, a Christian should always be for the preservation of life. Uh, as much as we, we don't agree maybe with some people, um, we do understand that there is more to life than just what we have now. There's an eternity. There's either eternity in heaven or there's an eternity in hell. You see, this, uh, this jailer was about to commit suicide. And Paul stopped him from killing himself. Because Paul knew the importance of the soul. And that this man was, was pretty much on his way to hell if he didn't trust Christ. You see, Paul realized that this man's soul was more important than his hurt pride and the physical wounds. He knew that this man needed to hear the gospel. And notice that not only a, not a single prisoner left their jail, even though they could have. They knew that it was the, the God of Paul and Silas that did this miracle. And they were in awe and anticipation to hear more from them. Look at verse number 29. It says here, Then he called for a light, and sprang in, and came trembling, and fell down before Paul and Silas. Here's our memory verse this, this month. And brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in thy house. And they spake unto him the word of the Lord and to all that were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes and was baptized, he and all his straightway. The jailer asks the greatest question ever to be asked with a sincere heart. Have you been in his shoes before? Paul tells him plainly what he must do. And it wasn't a, a list of ten pages long, you know, of things that, of commandments he had to keep and ways to earn God's favor. You see, you look here, this man was already repentant and he was ready to believe in Jesus Christ. I mean, as soon as he, he knew that something miraculous had happened, he came, he sprang in, he came in trembling. And he fell down before Paul and Silas. You see the condition of his heart here before uh, what they say. His heart was already repentant. He was already, uh, he knew that um, he deserved to die. And yet, when they asked, when he said, what must I do to be saved? That's why they said, see, they knew his heart was already in the right condition. They said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And it was a promise not just to him, but also to his house. What I mean by that is that the life that this man would now lead would bring salvation to his home. Now him, being, now him trusting Christ didn't save his, his children. It didn't save his wife. It only saved his soul. But the difference that, that his life changed made such an impact on his family that they would get saved. And we're going to look here. Um, in case anyone's confused by the wording of verse 32 and 33 as we look at the rest of the story, it's how Luke writes. Uh, as we've been studying through the book of Luke, Luke sometimes, he, he has a thought and he finishes the thought before going on to something maybe more detailed. And so that's why we see here, you know, 31 and 32, where his family gets saved and, um, you know, then they, they baptized him and, you know, things like that. 
And then he then goes into more detail in verse number 34 and 35, which we're going to read here in just a second. He goes into more detail and, and you kind of wonder, like, where does this go in the portion of Scripture? So basically, to kind of help you understand, verses 32 and 33 uh, usually are, take place chronologically after verse number 34. It's just how, this is just how Luke writes. Um, but we're going to see the change in this man. This is what the gospel does to a person. Before he was the oppressor, and now he is a willing servant to the men who, thru- who he thrust into the deepest part of the prison. Uh, let's look at verse 32 and 33 and 34 again. It says here, And they spake unto him the word of the Lord and to all that were in his house. And he took them that same hour of the night. And look what he's doing. He's wa- he washed their stripes. He cleaned their wounds. I mean, he... he, he um, Took all the dried blood off, you know. Uh, he probably put some gauze or whatever was available, wrapped up the uh, the the lashes and their and their skin, took care of them. He washed their stripes, and then it says, and he was baptized all he in a straight way. But verse number thirty-four says, and when he had brought them into his house, he set meat before them, and rejoiced, believing in God with all of his house. Uh, he cleans their wounds. I mean, he brings them to his own house. I mean, here they are, complete strangers, and yet he brings them to his home. They're beaten. They're, you know, they've been beaten. They've been whipped. They're exhausted. And yet he brings them home. He feeds them. And then he asks them to tell everyone in his house about Jesus Christ. And, uh, and what's really cool about this verse says, and, and rejoiced, believing in God with all of his house. They were all, after they had, had heard the gospel, every single one in that household trusted Christ as their Savior. Every single person. They saw a difference in what had happened to that jailer. And after they were baptized, they, he brought them back to the jail. And the, and the prisoners actually still stayed. Let's look at verse number 35 and through 40 and we'll, look, and we'll finish with the, this portion of Scripture. It says here, And when it was day, the magistrates... Um, sent the sergeants, saying, Let those men go. And the keeper of the prison told this saying to Paul, The magistrates have sent to, to let you go. Now therefore depart and go in peace. Look at verse number 37. But Paul said unto them, They have beaten us openly uncondemned, being Romans, and have cast us into prison. And now do they thrust us out privily? Nay, verily. But let them come themselves and fetch us out. He wasn't very happy with these magistrates. <laughs> I mean, you see here, he, he was furious with these guys. First of all, because he was a Roman. Silas was a Roman. And they were persecuted without following the law, the Roman law. They weren't given an opportunity to defend themselves. And, uh, and they were beaten and whipped uh, maliciously. And so now the magistrates wanted to kind of, you know, they didn't want to make a scene. And so they were saying, okay, you can go, just, just do it privately. You know, we, you know this, whole, this whole incident, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll say it never happened. And Paul said, no, no. You, you did wrong by persecuting us, be, being Romans. You broke the law. 
And now we're not going to just kind of quietly go away. You come and you bring us out. And, and uh, it says here in verse number 39, And they came, and so these magistrates came. Uh, sorry, verse number 38. It says, And the sergeants told these words unto the magistrates. And look what happened. And they feared when they heard that they were Romans. And they came and besought them and brought them out and desired them to depart out of the city. And they went out of the prison and entered into the house of Lydia. And when they had seen the brethren, they comforted them and departed. And, uh, and now, from there, Paul would go into further places in, into Macedonia. Uh, but this is just kind of the, the beginning intro of, of, of God opening up the gospel into Europe. This was uh, God uh, showing the Gentiles um, the gospel. And uh, as you look at this event, it really, in, in, uh, sorry, there he's getting baptized. Um, in conclusion, it, it just, the event shows us the extent that God directs people in order for them to hear the gospel. Uh, God's desire and passion is for people to be saved. He will move people thousands of miles so that they might hear the gospel. I mean, he brings missionaries to countries. But one of the amazing things that I have seen here is that he will bring people here to hear the gospel. Maybe they may not be able to hear it in their own country. Maybe they may not be able to hear it. Uh, you know, I, I think of, um, uh, we had a young man last year by the name of Justin. He's from Nicaragua, one of the college students. Uh, he came here to Ireland to come to college. And while here, he heard the gospel and he got saved. You know, and I mean, thousands of miles. God brought him. He had, you know, he was just coming to college. And he had no idea uh, what God was going to do. And when he heard the gospel, he got saved. Uh, there may be some people here, you know, um, uh, you have you moved here to Ireland. You've been here in Ireland. And, and, uh, and since coming here to Ireland, you heard the gospel and you got saved. Um, God brings people to where they can where they can hear the gospel. He moves people. He sends them. Uh, you know, he, he sent Pastor Craig uh, 23, 24 years ago to come to Ireland so that the people here could hear the gospel. And there's been dozens and dozens and dozens of lives that has been affected because he said, okay, God, I'll come. People who have been saved, people who have trusted Christ as their Savior. Um, you know, now we've got you know, Bible Baptist Church in Carrigaline. Uh, you know, that, is, that has come from this church and the people that have been saved over in Caragaline. Uh, we got McCroom that's going to be uh, over in McCroom. we got people who have been saved over in McCroom. And it's all because one man said, okay, God, I'll come. I'll come. Left his family, traveled thousands of miles to come here just so that people could hear the gospel. God will do that. God cares that much about souls. God uses situations that do not make sense to us in our understanding and perspective. When Paul was thrown into prison, him and Silas, they've been beaten, they've been whipped. I'm sure they probably didn't know what was going on. Why would God allow them to go through that? But they did understand and they did know that God would not have allowed them to go through that situation if He didn't want them to go through it. And so they trusted Him and allowed God to use them in that situation. Had they not been thrown into prison, that jailer would never have heard the gospel probably. He would never have been to the point where 
uh, God would, would, would uh, his heart would be so softened with what happened in that jail, that jail that night. And he probably would have never trusted Christ as his Savior had God not worked in that matter. And uh, now he just did the Philippian jailer. His soul was saved, but all of his family, the people in his house. And from there in Philippi, uh, we, we have, you know, a, well, basically a church gets started. That's why we had the book of Philippians. It was written to the church in Philippi, which is where the story takes place. So God used the seeds that were, that were, that were planted there, the people that were saved there, which would one day become a church. You see, God will let you go through situations so that you would tell someone about Jesus Christ. Sometimes you may not understand, God, why are you allowing me to go through this situation? Why are you allowing me to go through this heartache? Why are you allowing me to go through this suffering? And God may want you to, to, to reach somebody and tell somebody uh, about the gospel that you're going through. Uh, maybe He puts you in the hospital for, some, for you know, some, some reason that you don't understand. And maybe there's a nurse or there's a, a doctor there that, uh, that they may never hear the gospel if you don't tell them. He will bring us through different situations so that we can be a witness to people. The change that God brings someone who is saved is amazing. I mean, even over just a few verses that we see about the jailer, we see a complete difference in this man. I ask you this morning, have you let God change you at all? Like the jailer, or are you still the same? Has God changed you at all? Are you still angry? Are you still mad? Are you still bitter at the world? Are you still... Uh, or has God changed you? Give me that peace. Give me that joy. Start to make you more like Christ. See, if you've been born again, if you've been saved, God will start to change the darkness that's in your life and He will change and, uh, and the outside will just start to show it. But can I ask you, have you let God change you at all? Here, this man, he wanted nothing to do with these two men. Thrust him in the deepest part of the prison and said, good riddance of you. To washing their stripes. To feeding them. To bringing them to his home. So that they could hear the gospel. Quite a change. I ask you this morning, have, have you been born again? And uh, maybe God has brought you along these paths that you could hear the gospel. Maybe He's brought you to church today that you could hear the gospel. If you've never, if you've never been born again, can I ask you, don't wait too long. Because, again, you could harden your heart and harden your heart and harden your heart and pretty soon you get so used to hardening your heart that you don't even want to listen to the gospel. It's a dangerous place to be at. But if you let your heart be softened, and you just, like this Philippian jailer, just surrender yourself and say, God, I know I'm a sinner. I need to be saved. What do I have to do to be saved? He gives you the answer right there. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved in thy house. But if you want to know more, come to Brother Dan or myself and we can show you through Scripture how you can know without a shadow of doubt that, that you can have salvation. Let's go ahead and bow in a word of prayer and then we'll sing our invitation hymn. Father, we do thank You this morning. Lord, we see just the great lengths uh, 
that you'll go through to, to, for people to hear the gospel. I mean, we see Lydia. She was, she was a lady from Thyatira, a very far distance away city from Philippi. And yet, God, you brought her there to Philippi, and she heard the gospel. Lord, it's, really, it's amazing to think about that. Maybe she went there because of business. Maybe, you know, maybe she moved there because of a, of a husband or, or family. We don't know. But for some reason, she was there in Philippi when Paul was there. God, you directed her there. And, uh, and she trusted you as her Savior. And not only that, but the change that, that happened in her life, Lord, her family got saved. It's just amazing, Lord, what you'll do in people's lives, how you'll lead and direct them. Father, I do pray that there's someone here that doesn't know you as their Savior, that they would trust you this morning, that they would get saved. Lord, don't let another day pass by in the uncertainties of this world where life is so precious, life is so frail. And Father, we do thank you again for your love, for your mercy. And Lord, help us to be willing to go, willing to talk to people, willing to be that servant like Paul and Silas. And uh, even though we may not understand situations you bring us to, but God, that we would be... Um, humble enough and close to, enough to, to your Holy Spirit, Lord, that we would understand where you want us to go and who you to talk to. And Father, we do thank you so much again for your love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.